You may have played poker, but playing poker in Texas is a different animal. This is the Texas Poker Podcast with Tyler and Clint. Hello, this is the Texas Poker Podcast. I'm Tyler. This is Clint. What's up, y'all? And we are back with episode 18. Back with episode eighteen. So, what uh, what's been going on with uh, you and poker this week? Well, I've been kind of stuck at work lately. So, I mean, as far as it goes with me, it's just watching vlogs and hearing about your five five game. Yeah, well, I, I feel <laughs> bad for you because the five five game. <laughs> I was so happy that I could jump up in stakes uh, after the Vegas trip. And then it went so well, and I was like, well, eventually it's going to have a downfall. Meh, kind of had a downfall. <laughs> kind of. Well, I guess um, my last session, I kind of had a downfall as well. So we kind of taken down swings at the same time. I guess when you ask how, I'm, how I've been running, I've been running okay. Played a hand horribly, which, you know, led to a downfall. <laughs> <laughs> Playing a hand horribly, a lot of times that is, that is how it's going to be. Uh, I was looking over my notes over the last session, and I don't think I was playing that badly. I think I got into some weird, rough spots. Uh, I think I was doing well in just this kind of variance, which I'm playing a lot more mixed games, which is just going to be how it's going to be with the mixed games, especially like PLO High. And this was 5-5 five, five last night, right, before we get into the session? Yeah, this was 5-5. Five, five. Actually, do you, if you want, we can go over a couple hands to let you know exactly how it kind of swung. Yeah, so let's at least set the tone before we start getting into the 5-5. Five, five. So what were some of the big hands? Okay, so this is kind of an interesting hand. I have ace-king-king-deuce in a high-low hand. I don't know how many of our player, uh, listeners even know know how to play high-low. It's not a usually popular game. I was about to say, not even both podcasters know how to play. So, <laughs> so I have ace-king-king-deuce, uh, which, to let you know, is basically a nutted hand with a suited ace. So ace-deuce is basically the nut-low if it's three three cards, eight or lower on the uh, on the board. And then I have the king-king. So someone raises to 60. You don't want to play big pots in this game pre-flop for the most part. You just kind of want to have the pot odds. This is such a strong hand that I'm like, well, multi-way, I'm not that much of a favorite. But if I can get this heads up, it's hard for me not to at least win one side of this pot. Right. So I go ahead and do something I've I haven't been doing a whole lot at least high low is uh, raising it to two twenty uh repot it and make it two twenty five, right? Because me and you had talked about how potting at preflop might not be the best move. Yeah, because I mean, well, you really on high low PLO and stuff like that, you're really looking for implied odds. Like I didn't understand this when I first started uh, playing PLO, and all I heard was aces are good. And so I would just raise the shit out of aces all the time. Well, once you start getting down to the nitty-gritty of it, the aces are good, but you're basically set. Unless you're getting it heads up, you never are in Texas. Let me go ahead and let you know that. Uh, this is about to uh, yeah. prove that. the uh, You're really set mining for the most part. And, I mean, it's a really good hand to set mine with, but you that's pretty much what you're doing if you're not heads up 
or at least maybe three to a flop. But I so Ace King King Deuce, I re raised it to two twenty five, thinking I'm gonna get this heads up. I mean we're playing five five. This is now a huge pot in this. The person to my left cold calls two twenty five. That is a weird spot. I really did not expect that. It comes around, and the original better also calls. So uh, around 550, seven, around 740, 25. So it's, 700, it's about 750 uh, in the pot. So we go to a flop of 356 with two hearts. Now, I had diamonds for my suited ace. The original better bets pot uh, puts me all in. I mean, I obviously call. I think I call. I called for like two ten. Okay, you had two ten more. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so it's a uh, the next player then repots it for over a grand, and which I covered the other guy by quite a bit, uh, and he calls and. So I'm like, oh, God. I mean, ace-deuce is pretty strong here, but the problem is a lot of times someone's going to have a high hand. Like, I'm expecting, like, maybe a set and then to be, cho- like, getting quartered, getting 25% of the pot. Yeah. Uh, and how that works for play- players who do not play high-low, it's the pot is split into two ways. So if so- one person has the high, they're going to get 50% of the pot. And if you both have ace deuce with another player you're gonna you will get 50 you will get 50 percent of half of the pot so you end up getting 25 percent uh it's actually worse (laughs) it's it's even worse it's like you thought getting 25 percent was bad it's worse than that (laughs) yeah it is it is the absolute worst it can be when the original better turns over ace deuce four seven he flopped the nut low and the nut straight. <laughs> and then the player to my left flips over ace-deuce. So now where I was very concerned that even with the nuts I was getting quartered, actually not happening. I am now winning one-third of <laughs> half of the pot. So that is... <laughs> one-third of half of the pot. <laughs> So it was about the worst possible scenario I could ever be in. And I mean, basically drawing dead. I mean, I needed to hit my king and the board to pair. Yeah, I mean, yeah, trying to think of the, the fraction of that. God. Yeah, I mean, not even a diamond on the flop. So it was, you know, it's one of those hands that kind of plays itself, but it just played itself horribly in my... Uh, deal so i'm sure i just convinced a lot of people to go out there and give high low a chance <laughs> yeah so that definitely seemed like a pretty key hand of your session that was a pretty key hand uh in plo i had the king high flush it was a high uh, just plo high i did not bet the flush draw on the flop it checks around i hit the heart on the turn it checks to me I'm like, nobody bet this at all. I feel pretty good having second nuts here. I bet, which, uh, like, I think I probably, ha- I bet on like 75 to 80% pot. Uh, I get one caller who's who actually has far less. He's very short stacked, and he calls, and he has the, the nut flush. 
So that was painful. The other, this is on a strategy perspective, this hand is a lot better. So this is regular Hold'em I'm playing. And I have Ace-Queen, Ace of Clubs, Queen of Spades. I bet 20 in fairly early position. I get 3 bet to 75. Here's a question. Do you call here? We, I mean, we we seem to go over ace-queen and three-bet pots all the time here. Because it's like they always give you good odds. It's always good odds. And here's the problem is... You could be drawing so thin. I mean, if it's a tight player, then you're basically... I mean, it's a horrible call. Because, I mean, ace-king is kind of the bottom of the range. But if it's a loose player, ace-queen, you can never... I mean, you're just you're folding way too much if you're folding this. This player seemed kind of aggressive, but I hadn't seen him 3-bet yet. But either way, I make the call. I'm not sure if it was right or not there. Uh, the flop comes 4-8-9, all spades. I have the queen of spades. I check it, seeing what he's going to do, and he instantly bets, like, pot, like, once... Like 150, 175. I think he might have bet over pot. I found this to be a really tough spot. I mean, I have the queen high flush draw. I have two overs. Uh, problem being is with the queen of spades, if he's on ace king, like if he has an ace or king of spades, I am drawing basically dead. Uh, if he has pocket kings with a king of spades, I'm drawing basically dead uh i mean the one hand that would make a lot of sense here is if he had jacks with well with or without the jack of, mm, jack of spades would be a a good call so i was really in a problem spot here i ended up making the fold but i mean i think it was very close i'm not sure if it was a good fold or not right because when you well, actually, you called me about this one first before I read about it. And my immediate thought was it was a call. But then once you broke it down for me, I'm more I'm definitely on your side on the fold. Yeah, it's... I don't know. I mean, I'm about 50-50 either way. I'm, so I'm getting about 1 to 3. So it'd be, it'd be tough. It's, uh, I guess it was a good fold. I mean, I'll tell you what. I think it just tilted me into making shit plays later in the night. So, I mean, I'm not sure. Maybe I should have just gone with it at that point. But that was kind of a uh, kind of a rough... That was kind of my first rough 5-5 session, really. Yeah, and I mean... I guess it was only one... Did you, Was it one buy-in or two? Or no, you said it was one and a half. You added on? Yeah, after the... I got uh, 33% of half the pot, and it ate into my stack. I was sitting there with like two ten at a five five table, <laughs> so I went ahead and just you know added on for another three hundred. Yeah. And I was like, well, this can be mine, so I don't have to you know lose two entire buy ins. I mean, I'll either chip up from here or just call it good. Were you have you uh, were, were you tempted to just do the full buy on full add on like your whole buy in of five hundred? So then you have seven hundred in front of you. I do that a lot, and it, man, I find it a lot easier to, like, mentally to play it, and, you know, you're thinking you started, you know, you added on five, but now you have eight in front of you once you win a big hand or something. 
That's true. Uh, you know what? I just kind of went in my wallet and I, I saw a couple hundreds in there. Like, and Anthony and Anthony, the owner of the place, was right behind me, oh, okay. and I just. I didn't think that much about it. I just was adding on just to kind of get back to where I could play a little bit, you know, not even super deep, but just kind of regular deep. Well, I mean, especially that ace-deuce hand. I feel like that's such a cooler to have everybody had the exact same thing for you to get 33% of half the pot. Yeah, oh, that that's a pretty big cooler in a high-low. I mean, it's it's pretty tough if it's, like, if it's quartered. I mean, that's just kind of how that game goes sometimes. But... To win 33% of half is, you know, that's definitely a tough one. Well, no, I mean, I'm saying, like, so that wasn't really played bad. That was more of a cooler, which would lean me more to adding on the full buy-in. That's just me. Oh, uh, because you feel like if you're playing badly, you don't want to, you don't want any more chips on the table than you really have to have, which is super smart. Right, but, I mean, I feel like that's a cooler, so I feel like if you added on the full buy-in, that's what I would have done, and sometimes depending on the game, I'll add two buy on two buy ins on. Yeah, it's that's that gets dicey though very quick. Well, I think <laughs> this is all kind of like jumping up in stakes from like one three to five five, and kind of managing a bankroll that's probably stacked for five five, but not like comfortably. Yeah, not comfortably is something I'm kind of getting used to. Well, especially because like okay, like we both. Um, did the one three buying for 300 and built that up to where we we're very comfortably uh, bankrolled for that, right? Right. But then when you move up in your buy in or bigger games, you know, you get used to taking, I mean, I'll buy in for three times. You don't do that, correct? Or have you started to? But, uh, you know what? I usually buy, have two buy ins with me. And not that I couldn't do three buy-ins. I feel like after two buy-ins, I might just be too tilted out of my skull to play well. Is usually how I feel. Right. I normally will do three if, you know, that's just... But I'm saying, so, okay, so whenever you go and you lose the two buy-ins, you were comfortably bankrolled. But then when you move up, you know, it kind of mentally, it's a lot more money. Even though, I guess it's, and it's a bigger percentage out of your bankroll. Yeah, it's a... I say it's just kind of mentally, well, because we had both started buying in at one three for larger than the normal hundred hundred. I mean, we were buying in for you know, uh, I think I was like four four fifty or like five hundred six hundred. Yeah, around there, but it's a little bit different because it's harder to get stacked for that amount. Whereas if I'm buying in for five hundred at five five, you know, mm-hmm. bankrolled for that, but it's way easier to lose all of it because you're you're just not as deep yeah that's a good point and like i always tell people whenever you're like the person with 100 big blinds and you're playing a game that's really deep the worst case scenario for me is always whenever you get caught up like in a three-way pot with two guys who are super deep and you just end up all in just because how the betting is going it just it seems like a good way to burn through buy-ins. Well, especially like if there's you know, like I've been doing mostly round of each. I mean, that's almost guaranteed in a PLO pot, right? Because I mean, you can you can have great odds to call where you would never fold and also not be a favorite. <laughs> what a weird situation. I mean, it, it PLO. It may, I mean, it makes it it happens a lot. So, so not only is it moving up in five five, but also you know just a different type of game and then you said something that was kind of interesting so once you move up in stakes 
it's very hard to move down in stakes. I mean, that's not where you're at, but I was just saying you were kind of thinking about it, right? Yeah, you know, okay, I've heard, I've heard multiple people say this. I heard this on, like, Jamin's vlog, and I've heard this just from a lot of people who've moved up, like, in the Vegas stakes and all mm-hmm. that. And they'll go, you know, from 1-3 to 1-2, and they'll then go to 2-5, and then they'll go to 5-10 and all that. And once they're there, they never want to go back down and all that. And I was like, well, I don't think I would care. I mean, if I'm playing poker, I mean, I don't care if it, you know, not if the other game is better, I'd rather do that. Uh, and I did, it didn't make a lot of sense until I kind of moved up in stakes. And it, there's a lot of ego there. <laughs> I, I, Close, like, I have a lot of ego <laughs> I did not realize I had so much ego but I mean once you're playing 5-5 five, five and you're known as that type of player it, there's a 5-5 five, five and a 1-3 game going it is kind of tough to go back to playing the 1-3 uh, it, it shouldn't be I definitely am going to say this is a flaw and a leak and like you said I'm not there at this point but I mean it could be oh easily I mean if you take a big downswing at five five, I mean, you could easily be there, because like we both said, so we both have grinded up the one three bankroll to be very comfortably for a regular hundred big blind one three. But I mean, if you go on a big five five downswing, I mean, you'd have to go down, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I, it's kind of a weird spot, but I mean, I would say like I saw Andrew Nemi do this like way back when he was, it was several years ago, but he was going through a huge downswing and he. I mean, and he was playing well. I mean, he is getting coolered ridiculously amount. It was just, it was just super stupid. And he went, like, to 1-3 or whatever, and I was like, man, that'd be nice because you could go to, like, a casino that really doesn't know you because, I mean, like, MGM doesn't have those stakes and all that. I guess it'd be harder now because he's well-known and everybody used to be like, right. why is he playing in one three one two? But at the time, he wasn't. Uh and I was like, that'd be nice to have multiple place, multiple places, because you could kind of, I mean, like you here, I mean, say you go on a gigantic downswing or whatever, you know, instead of going to Johnny Chan's ADA, or they always have probably that game going, and they're gonna, and Tyler's like, no, I'm gonna go over to that small table over there, <laughs> yeah, and oh, you could just go to Paramount where they don't have that game going. Right. Well, so here's something I was gonna talk to you about whenever you were just talking about the swings in that uh, five-five game. Is I've been lucky, or I guess I've been lucky, that every time I've shot taken, it's been at a place I don't normally play at. That's true. Okay, the first time we were talking about like you moving up in stakes, you'd been doing real well. I remember you went to rounders. Right, and that was just, I mean, not it for me. Yeah, I remember you going to five five a couple times, and just every time, and like a couple times, you you just ran badly, like the first two or three times. Well, I went to rounders, and um, the game is just way different. The five five versus the one three. Whenever you're not used to, you're used to being able to call nicely behind someone's raise, and then you're not used to getting three bet squeeze out of all the hands. Oh yeah, yeah, very. I noticed that at the two five at Vegas a lot versus the one three. So, yeah, I can definitely see that. And it was still weird because the game was playing differently. And when you're shot-taking, it's more money than you're used to having in front of you. I mean, you're bankrolled for it, but you're shot-taking still. So you're still kind of, like, a little hesitant. Because there was one hand where I would have flopped, you know, the nuts. But I had, like, a suited ace in a 
button versus small and big blind. I was just one of the blinds. I was the small blind that got squeezed out. But, I mean, stuff like that where I didn't recognize that they're going to be squeezing there a lot of the time. And, you know, you have to have a, a defending range, too. Yeah, you definitely... Like I never thought you needed like a four bet like a four bet range at one three. Well, I, mean, I still think you don't because Probably it's not. just going to be all in. Uh, but like once you get deeper and deeper stacked and you get against better and better players, if you don't have a four bet range, and those three bets are just going to eat you alive. Especially if you're folding anything other than you know queens plus, right? Right. I mean, you're going to get. So I mean, so I was saying I've been lucky. So I went up to rounders and that didn't go well. It started off going okay, but. End result, not great. Okay. Then I went to, I think I went to one of the stream, no, that was a 1-3 game. I went to 2-5 at the win. That went well. 2-5 at the win? That's a, oh, that's right. That's a, that's probably the first time, like, you kind of shot taken. It really did go really good. Right. Yeah. I I mean, mainly because I pulled a bluff off with, like, 8 high on a table where they, I was playing so tight they thought I would never be bluffing, so he happened to work out I bluffed with all my stack with like eight high <laughs> that that was the story of that session that's even better i mean because that's even better though because it's like a move you're actually it's one thing to just you know go someplace you're shot taking and you just run like god i mean you're gonna have those nights the worst players are gonna have those nights it's another thing to like actually make a move and outplay people at that level though that's kind of nice it was nice um and then i think i went and played um I know I played 5-5 five, five at Caesars. I remember that. And I had someone fold ace-king to my kings. And I was like, I'm playing way too tight. But I've been, right? I mean, yeah. I, but I told him, I was like, I haven't had any hands. Like, I haven't raised anything. I was like, well, I haven't, I just got here. Give me a minute, you know? <laughs> but <laughs> but I've been lucky not to, you know, kind of wandering off, but n- not to shot take at the place that I play the most at, where people kind of recognize me there, or at least, you know, know that that's somewhere I play regularly. And I think there's good and bad to it. Uh the good like the bad is if you went if you wanted to go down in stakes, it's kind of a like an ego hit. Like I that I wouldn't have thought of. I mean, I like I say, I just if, it, if something's either profitable or it's not, I'm kind of analytical like that and just don't care. But I do but I do care a little bit more than I thought I would. Uh the good side is when it's the way it is there a lot of the 1-3 players are just going to 5-5 because either that's what there is to play there and that's all that's running that night or just to kind of be a part of that game. And not many have actually... I don't think a ton of them are winning players who've worked their way up to it. That's just the game that they're playing. And I think that makes for a much better 5-5 game than the average. Definitely. Um, I mean, I noticed even that one time at paramount whenever i met you there and you had made a really deep run in one of the tournaments on the stream or whatever and even when you walked in like tournament players coming in he was on one of the deals like tournament player he's gonna do the tournament and you were actually coming to play cash with me so i couldn't imagine but like it would be the exact same thing if you were if they had a 5-5 game going and you were normally that guy and they recognized you as that yeah, guy exactly it's uh you know you're just kind of because i remember when you you're like no i'm actually gonna play cash everyone's like what you just you just played the tournament last night and did so good they have a tournament going don't you want to do that and you're like no, no no i'm gonna do cash everyone thought that was weird i could see how if you were the five five guy or the two five or five ten guy and they were like here you know uh five five guy coming in or add him to the list and then you had to be like 
Ooh, ah, not not today, guys. <laughs> one three. Actually, do you have a one two? Is there any one two going on? Maybe one one. I mean, it's it's been a rough day. It's been a rough day. Uh, which is like I say, I don't care. Like I find it weird that I give a shit because I'm still the same player who like I would go and do a free bar roll poker tournament and have a blast. I, I mean, I still do that, and I mean. I don't have any issues with it and still enjoy the shit out of it. I mean, I just like to play poker in general. But, like I say, you do kind of... There is, there is, like, a lot of ego in poker. And you sometimes you got to wake up and realize that, you know, you you have more ego than you actually think you do. Well, I think the first time I realized it was... Because I kind of had the same thing, not going to 5-5, five five, but when I went on that downswing, or that down, a downswing, and... um. I was still buying in for, I think, at that point, it was like 400 and you told me, oh, you maybe should go back down to 300 buying in. And I was like, can't do it. <laughs> you know what? And I will say, right? I wouldn't have recognized why until probably just like two to three weeks ago. Right. And I was like, matter of fact, I'm going the other way, buying in for 500 <laughs> 500 and only 510 tables. <laughs> yeah. So... But that was the first time, because, like, when you said that to me, it made sense. But then I was like, well, that's not what I buy in for now. <laughs> it's like the first time I kind of felt that same thing you were kind of referring to. Yeah. it's Okay, and we were both talking about this this weekend. We were watching Rampage's vlog, and we were talking about, like, he's just getting murdered. And, I, like, I mean, I still think he's an above-average player. I don't think he's playing his best. And we were like, wouldn't you move down in stakes at this point but can you imagine like if we don't even want to do it because eight people that we barely know we're ner- i mean we're kind of like ooh, don't want to do that and he's got thousands, four, yeah thousands. fifty thousand viewers yeah. i mean watching him go down in stakes it's got to be tough well i was thinking i mean especially the buy-in what you're buying is not one person the poker room cares, but you, <laughs> what you buy in for, you know, like, oh yeah. But I'm like, oh, can't do it. Yeah. Most people don't even know. For That's the most. What, yeah. yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. So like, even that was tough, but yeah, I mean, moving down on a vlog like that would be pretty tough too, I think. Yeah. I mean, I still think it's probably a good move. I mean, and for me personally, like, I don't know why I've, I guess vloggers get a lot of shit for like losing sessions and, you know, posting stuff where they're not winning. Like, I like seeing, I wouldn't mind seeing someone move down in stakes. I don't mind seeing someone lose, because that helps me. Because here's the thing, is if Andrew Nemi, Brad Owen, and Johnny Vibes, and Jamin, and all these great players, and I'm watching them, like, like knowing they're winning players, have these losing sessions, downswings, it helps me as a, like, I guess, whatever I am, like, yeah. wreck going part-time semi-pro. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, glad to he- glad to hear we're on the same page. If they're doing it, then it's a uh, then I, it's it's easier for me. Dick. <laughs> yeah, I just about <laughs> your Will Ferrell from Semi Pro. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, but well, here's the other thing: those YouTubers. Uh, <laughs> you got to think those high stakes games probably get way more views on YouTube. <laughs> Oh yeah, I would. Well, so you think gotta so. think like so they they also have their bankroll to consider, but also like 
if they're trying to build the YouTube and they know that if they play five ten, they're gonna get twice as many views. I feel like you would lean more to doing that. And I, you're completely right. I don't know why that is though. Because okay, when you first showed me that stuff, the big draw for me was like, I mean, you could watch high stakes poker and all that, but because a move works when there's three hundred thousand dollars in the pot. <laughs> Does not mean it's going to work at a one three one two table, so it's not really that educational for the average person. But watching these people actually make a profit and do well at one three, because to me that's one three one two is where probably eighty to ninety percent of the poker players play, right? Easily, maybe so, even more. But... Uh, actually, probably you're right, probably even more. So it seems like if I'm doing playing at those stakes, I kind of want to see people playing at those stakes. To know what's working, what's not. Well, especially when they're going into their strategies and stuff. Because like you said, um, both of us have adapted our game based on a lot of the stream uh, vloggers. Um, just seeing how they can get value in certain places. You know, times to call, times to fold. At that stake, right? Because there's some bluffs that are, like we always say, some bluffs that will work at 1-3 and some that will work at 2-5 but not the other way around. Right, absolutely. Right. That's a... Uh... So, yeah, that's, uh, hopefully, like I say, well, I hope for the best, but I, Rampage needs an upswing, so I'm, I'm hoping the best for that dude, uh, any, regardless. I don't know, I feel like Brad Owen probably been on even, I mean, that dude been running so bad. Mm, yeah, hopefully, uh, you know, you know the one that's concerning me the most? <laughs> the, me, no. Yeah, <laughs> but like, the, the dude you're looking at. <laughs> I mean, but it's only been two sessions, so, it, you know, two sessions is not a downswing. Two sessions is just, <laughs> it's just not your upswing anymore. Uh, so, But, yeah, that's kind of how things are running right now. So, I mean, we'll hope, uh, I think we're going to play tonight, so we'll see if, uh, hopefully we can end, both end this shit. Right. Wow. What's it called? It seems like this was something I was kind of talking to someone else about, too, is it's like in poker, you run your bankroll up. And then, like, whenever you're buying, if you lose your whatever two buy-ins and it doesn't affect you, you always kind of push up to where, like, if you lose it, it still bothers you. Like, it's enough of the bankroll where you're like, oh, God. Yeah, Because you're true. always trying to push the envelope is what it feels. At least I am, right? I think so. I think we we both are. But I think mine was a little bit different on the fact that 5-5 five, five just, like, it wasn't a possibility. And then it was the possibility at one point right so and it i mean you always want to do what's most profitable at poker so i can see where it'd be kind of difficult if you're having great games at a higher stake than your bankroll allows it's hard not to be like oh god well you know this is going to be super profitable in the long run but can bankrupt me in the short run so super difficult here's something that we were kind of talking about before the podcast but then we decided we we're going to talk about on the podcast is Let's say you're playing the five five, right? Okay. And um, you right, you're gonna aces are gonna get cracked, sure. So you you're all in with aces, and they they get cracked like they're going to sometimes. Do you sometimes have a problem like thinking like, well, I don't want to go back down because the variance is gonna happen. Like you're gonna lose with aces, right? Sure. And you're also gonna crack aces. But if you're when you run bad, you immediately jump back down to when you're running good. Then you go back up. It seemed like if you would just, if you're capable of staying at the five five, the variance will eventually even out. Oh, absolutely. I think 
you're 100%. Now, here's a problem is if your bankroll supports it. <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean, the, like, I'll play, like everybody knows, I like to play craps as well. And there's a saying, the dice have no memory. Right. Which means just on your downswing, once you've lost, if you're on an eight-session downswing, there's no guarantee there's not going to be another eight sessions. I mean, the cards do not know that you're on a downswing. Right. So, yeah, I think you're right. I think you sh- should not jump down unless you have to, and then if you have to, you better because I, <laughs> that's how. Because I mean, the worst thing is just to go bankrupt and you have nothing to go f- to play with. Right, because I mean, we both have been at the spot at one three when I was starting the bankroll of, I mean, we can't be on a downswing because we're going to be out of money. Oh, both me and you have gotten to that spot. I mean, yeah, it's. You know, life has, like, I've always told you, I was like, a bankroll's kind of, it's kind of a false deal, because if you ever really need the money, you're not going to have, you know, 30000 in your poker bankroll, have, you know, some type of bill come up that's, you know, twenty five, have 5000 in your checking account, and be like, nope. <laughs> so, I mean, we both, we both run into things where, you know, it was, we've kind of been in tight situations on the bankroll. Luckily, we've always gotten on upswings at the right time well i was on a tight situation on the bankroll just because i mean a lot of people talk about bankroll bankroll management what's really tough is starting a bankroll that is really tough i mean because i feel like we both have you know fairly good jobs right right but we could not if you were consistently losing just buying in buying in multiple times a week right i mean eventually run out of money but super tough whenever you try to get you know, when you only have two buy-ins and you have to try to run that up, that's really tough too. Yeah, it's a. I guess the question would be like, what if you were if we were starting from scratch today? Like, just how many buy-ins do you think would be sufficient for a bankroll? Well, I don't even think you have a bankroll, right? You need to study and try to start building a bankroll, right? Because you're only going to be able to show up with one or two buy-ins out of your checking. Yeah. I'll tell you what, it's, I think having, I think almost nobody, there's two things I don't think anybody does that would add to their game, and it's not anything strategic, but it would make most people way bigger winning players, is tracking the results. Almost nobody does, I don't believe. And having a bankroll, because I hear people like sweating, like the money coming out and all that. Well, if, I mean, don't get me wrong, like I never like losing money out of the bankroll. But if that same amount was coming out of a checking account where it wasn't just for poker, I mean, I'd be losing my shit. And I'll tell you what, I think this is a lot of the reason, like, like Ace-King will play him more aggressively, is if it loses, it loses. But the other people, it's just coming out of their checking account, so they just want to play as passive as possible. Because they just want to stay in the game, which is okay, but there's a better way to do it in the long run. Right, exactly. And, um... I I just I always think because like we were talking about like if we both either of us wanted to start a tournament bankroll, but how do you even start a tournament bankroll? How many do you just keep buying in out of your checking until you run out of money? I mean, until you make a big score, then try to run that up or? Well, it's one thing like I think it's easier to do like a online tournament bankroll, but the tournament bankroll for live is so tough to me because I think you need so much money. Because here's the problem is I don't I'm not sure lower stakes tournaments are just that beatable. Like anything under like three or four hundred dollars, I think is going to be raked so high. 
Right. So that's what I was thinking. And I was also thinking, um, well, I was just saying that's always like a weird spot to be at in the bankroll. Like just the baby, baby bankroll, whenever you're really, it's just whatever you can afford right now. That's just more what I was getting at. Like everything's nice talking about bankroll management, how much of your bankroll you should be risking per buy-in. But no one ever talks about, hey, I only have two buy-ins. Uh, yeah. And, and I mean, we need to run this up and or else I need to go to work for another two weeks. Yeah. And then I can come back with one buy-in, which also leads to a lot of players. You know, whenever you have a bankroll, you never hit and run. But if I didn't have a bankroll and all of a sudden I have an extra buy-in and I can cash out after hitting big, go to work, come back and know next week I'm going to have three buy-ins. I'm not saying I've done it, but I could definitely see some people leaning towards doing it. Oh, I wanted to go to Vegas just to do it. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> without okay, before I had the bankroll, and when it was, you know, I don't know if I was a winning player at this point. I mean, you couldn't because if you remember, we had to go to Lake Charles. Yep. Well, you couldn't win two, you, you know, two or three hundred dollars after making that trip in forty-five minutes and just walk out and drive back home. I mean, you feel like a dumbass. Yep. But I was like, ooh, if I'm in Vegas and I could just like win two hundred, get up and just go to the next casino. Oh, yeah, I'd be, oh, 100%, like, I would have been tempted. Because, again, it's not coming out of a bankroll. And you're not seeing it as part of your overall winnings or losings. You're just seeing it as $200 in your checking account. The way you're seeing if you stay there, you're going to lose $300 out of your checking account. It's just, it flips the mindset so much. Right. Well, like I said, if you're a losing player, that's probably your best chance, right? I mean... To play for a long period of time. Because uh, you see a ton of hit runs in Vegas. I mean, just... I remember that was the one thing I thought was so strange coming from Houston poker to Vegas poker. was like, I'd play at the 1-3 table. Someone would win one double up and just rack up and leave. And no one would even really care. Yeah, that's true. Well, I mean, because people are going to... You're going to get that stigma if you do it at a place with not that many places to play. You're going to be known as that guy. Vegas, where you have a lot of either tourists who, um, or there's so many places to play, the I mean, you just don't give a shit. I mean, absolutely. Uh, as far as if it's the best way for a losing player to play, I, I guess. I mean, you're still. I mean, here's the problem: is you're still going to be losing money in the long run, regardless. I was thinking more. We kind of stretch it out. Well, really, what you should do is take that money and probably go pay for some training. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's kind of my thinking is. If poker is just so beatable at certain levels, and now if it's if you're one of those players who just plays to have a good time, then have a good time. Then have a good time, yeah. But if you're if we're looking at the best way to stretch it out, yeah, actually learning the hands and you know just being able to beat poker in the long run, since it is to me so beatable, especially at lower stakes right now. Well, and here's something interesting. I asked Jonathan Little, um, and he had a really interesting answer, which I didn't really get at the time. I asked him. I said, well. When you move up in stakes, everyone studies, obviously, right? So, um, and if everyone's playing the same ranges, is there even an edge to be had? If everyone has the same, if everyone trains the same, plays the same type of hands, is there, what's the edge? And his response was um, that the better players know the situations inside and out and just more thoroughly in general. And I didn't really understand that. But now it's kind of once you study more, 
recognizing boards in different situations, you can really kind of push um, an edge there as well. Yeah, it's. I think it's a really good question because it was it really factors into my one three versus two five. I mean, if the rake is less at two five, but I mean, every I mean one three is gonna be way more full of donkeys. What's more profitable? Uh, here's the thing: is I'm not certain that everybody who plays the bigger games actually studies. Right. That's the other thing that we've seen from the vlogs, especially, and you firsthand playing in bigger games in Vegas and in town. Yeah, I think I think a lot of people have just a lot of ego and want to, or either think they're way better than they are, uh, have a lot of ego and just want to be known as like someone who plays big. Uh, I just I don't know. I, I think I think there's more players who study, obviously at two five, five ten, and above than that study at one three. But to say everybody is grinding books and watching, you know watching Crush Life Poker, doing Jonathan Little. I'm not sure it's that way. Um, the more I look into it, the more I agree with that, that it's not that way. But I, whenever I was from the outside looking in, that's what I assumed. That's kind of me too. I mean, it's exactly what I assumed as well. Yeah, and I don't know. It's just, it's so stressful moving up. <laughs> we kind of end it with that too. I know, <laughs> definitely get some anxiety whenever you know, like, you're going to go shot take. And it's going to be a lot bigger game, and the competition's going to be stiffer. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, but like I say, I mean, we're still looking at how profitable it will be in the long run. So hopefully, we're like I say, I, it's very tough to get focused on short-term results in our exact situation. Yeah, I mean that's, I mean essentially it, right? You just basically have to play it out for the long term. So I guess on that note. We'll end this week of the Texas Poker Podcast. We'll see you next week. That was the Texas Poker Podcast. Go ahead and rack up. Add time and we'll see you next week.